Welcome to This Week in Astrology. This is episode number 370 for the week of June 30th, 2014. This Week in Astrology is the free podcast that deepens your astrological wisdom. We always start with the coming week's astrological forecast and regularly feature listener emails, recorded listener consultations, and interviews with other astrologers. Make This Week in Astrology a regular part of your astrological education. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Benjamin Bernstein, broadcasting from the virtual location of thisweekinastrology.com and the physical location of Asheville, North Carolina. We have a long show for you this week. We start, as always, with the forecast for the next seven days, followed by a preview of the following week. And then we're going to get into announcements and then our live listener consultation with Simi. She is 21, lives in Asia, and wants to know when will the love of her life show up? And frankly, when I first got the question, I was a little hesitant because that seemed like such a mundane kind of question that everybody has. But much to my delight, it turned into a really interesting hour of uh, work with Simi. And if you want to learn about how to see relationship factors in a chart and their timings, then you'll find this a very interesting segment. So I hope you enjoyed this live listener consultation. But first, of course, let's get on now to the forecast. So what's new this week? Mercury turns direct, clearing the way for new projects and major purchases, but the week is actually dominated by a fascinating variety of aspect patterns. These include a healing grand trine kite, a revolutionary T-square, and asteroid goddess formations that energize different aspects of the feminine. Make the most of this week's opportunities. Let's also cover briefly what's old. We have a waxing moon and Mercury retrograde is through July 1st, and then we have other retrogrades, Saturn, Pluto, and Neptune and Chiron lasting longer than that, and that Mars-Uranus-Pluto T-square that has been so strong the last several months wraps up this week. It'll fade out by July 3rd, so that particular energy of revolutionary transformation will be done. Before we move into our individual days of the week, let me just make a brief mention. I did uh, cut my tongue a bit. I had a... Uh, tooth break and get sharp and there's a little um, injury to my tongue slightly. It's mostly healed, but if I sound slightly off in my pronunciation or something, um, that'll be because the tongue is a little bit hurt and it might be slightly affecting my inflection. I, I imagine it'll be all healed up by next week though. So with that said, let's move on to our individual days of the week. On Monday, June 30th, there might be confusion in committed relationships with Neptune Square Juno but this aspect can also empower deep soul-blending with those you're close to. On Tuesday, July 1st, we open with a void moon kicking in at 6.01 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Then up is Mercury turning direct, and that's at 8.50. That's 8.50 a.m., and it's turning direct at 24 degrees, 22 minutes, Gemini. And that 8.50 a.m. is, of course, U.S. Eastern Time. You are now green-lighted for major new beginnings and significant purchases that you were delaying while Mercury was retrograde. This is also a great time to take action on the themes of the two signs in which Mercury was retrograde, learning and communication, that's Gemini, and family, nurturing, and healing, Cancer. You may have some clear ideas in these areas if you reflected on them while Mercury was retrograde, and that's always a great use of Mercury retrograde, reflection, introspection, and just thinking. <laughs> 
The void I mentioned earlier ends as the moon enters Virgo here on Tuesday, July 1st. That's at 5.24 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The moon in Virgo is meticulous and service-oriented and focused on health. So those themes can be more easily available to you. Also here on Tuesday, we have one of those aspect patterns. We're going to have a bunch of them this week. Uh, the aspect patterns actually overshadow the other events. So we have beginning a grand trine uh, that's with Sun, Saturn, and Chiron. So healing and nurturing energy flows smoothly and easily thanks to this grand trine. With the Sun in Cancer, the energy of this equilateral triangle formation can be directed into family or to those who feel like family. But there's more to this grand trine. The addition of Pallas Athena makes it a kite. That's a grand trine with another planet midway between uh, one of the trines to add a couple of sextiles into the mix. Looks like an old-fashioned kite. And in fact, the graphic for my uh, forecast on my website this week and in my newsletter is my uh, figure I've used before of Mercury turning direct, but this time <laughs> I've got him actually flying a kite just to uh, add this aspect pattern into the graphic. I kind of had fun with that. Anyhow, grand trines connect easily, but can be taken for granted. Pallas Athena creates a focal point for this aspect pattern's energies, embodying Pallas Athena's powers of feminine assertiveness and strategic planning can help you milk this opportunity for all it's worth. This grand trine and kite both start today, both peak on July 9th, and they both end on July 17. Another aspect pattern, revolutionary transformation, is stimulated as the sun fires up the multi-year Uranus-Pluto square. So this sun-Uranus-Pluto T-square starts today, peaks on July 6th, and ends on July 12th. And a T-square is a right triangle, a 90-degree uh, aspect and two 45-degree aspects in the mix there. With the sun in Cancer... Positive transformation is energized in the areas of family, nurturing, and security. And finally, we have a stellium. I don't often talk about stelliums, but this one is a big deal. New energy is available for personal abundance and selfless service throughout July, especially if you work in partnership. Helping others can also boost your self-esteem. This opportunity comes courtesy of a Mars Ceres Vesta stellium. Again, a stellium is just planets all huddled together. These three planets in Libra are huddled together starting today. They peak on July 14, and they separate on August 2nd. On Wednesday, July 2nd, we have the moon conjuncting Pallas Athena. That's around 11 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And whenever the moon conjuncts something, it gives you a few hours of emphasis on it. So Pallas Athena is feminine assertiveness. She is strategic cunning and practical creativity. So this one's for the ladies, because uh, I'm guessing there aren't many men who will relate to this particular interpretation. Ladies, do you feel wounded in your ability to project feminine assertiveness? Are you stymied in your ability to communicate who and what you are as a woman? Okay, I'll throw in some transgender people too, that's fine. <laughs> Anyhow, healing is available in these areas, thanks to a Venus Pallas Athena Chiron T-square. Although the healing might be catalyzed by having the issue triggered, that's often how healing kicks up in the first place. This T-square begins today, peaks on July 7th, and ends on July 13th. On Thursday, July 3rd, we have Venus Quincunx Pluto. Venus is at 12 Gemini, Pluto is at 12 Capricorn. With Venus Quincunx Pluto, what adjustments and transformations would help your relationships, creativity, and finances? With Venus in Gemini, 
you can give communication within relationships and creative writing a special focus. On Friday, July 4th, happy Independence Day to those of you in the United States. We open with a void moon at 12.22 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Next up is a Sun-Pluto opposition. The Sun, 12 Cancer, Pluto at 12 Capricorn. That opposition might generate some fireworks of its own. Some people can become domineering and controlling with the Sun opposing Pluto. Better uses of this energy include voluntarily releasing whatever doesn't serve you and opening to the vastly expanded power available to those who surrender to divine integration. With the Sun in Cancer, positive family transformations are supported. Also today, our final event on Friday is the moon entering Libra to close that void of course moon out and the moon enters Libra at 5.43 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Moon in Libra is great for uh, relating with others and for doing creative actions. On Saturday, July 5th, we open with a Moon-Mars conjunction at 9.30 p.m. approximately. So uh, be cautious when the Moon and Mars come together, especially on a Saturday night, the potential for violence or um, unexpected uh, shocking things is there. So just be a little cautious on the evening of July 5th if you're out and about. Uh, we have an aspect pattern today as well. It's a T-square featuring Juno, Pallas Athena, and Chiron. Juno and Pallas Athena are asteroid goddesses of radically different orientation. Regal Juno focuses on domestic stability and the mysteries of sexuality. Pallas Athena is more of a tomboy and a master of strategic cunning. Today, Juno and Pallas Athena begin a T-square with the wounded healer Chiron. If you recognize aspects of Juno and Pallas Athena in yourself, this is a time when these very different urges may come into conflict. But use skillfully. This challenge can help you positively embody both of these goddesses' talents. This Juno, Pallas Athena, Chiron T-square begins today, peaks on July 21st, and ends on July 29th. Sunday, July 6th closes with a number of lunar events. There's a moon series conjunction, and this amplifies the sense of mother-daughter relationships, loss and return, abundance, self-esteem, and uh, prosperity. Uh, series is the grain goddess, and the harvest and abundance is one of her primary themes. Then the moon conjuncts Vesta. Oh, let me mention, the moon series conjunction is around 1230 a.m. Um, right behind it, also right around 1230 a.m., is the moon Vesta conjunction. Vesta is generally about serving a higher cause beyond your own selfish needs. It can also have a more particular meaning of sacred sexuality. Um, then the void moon um, happens a little bit later in the morning, around 11.30 a.m. Uh, to be precise, it's 11.31 a.m., as the moon goes void, and the moon resolves into its next sign of Scorpio at 3.34 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time here on Sunday. And the moon in Scorpio is fabulous for detective work, investigation, doing occult practices, preferably on the high side where it's a win-win for everybody, sacred sexuality, and anything that involves diving deep into the depths. And that ends this week's forecast. Sneak peeking ahead to next week's show for the week of July 7th. We're going to talk about a full moon. We're going to talk about four Venus aspects. She's going to sextile Uranus, quincunx Saturn, square Chiron, and trine Mars. The sun's busy too, squaring Uranus and trining both Saturn and Chiron. Mercury will enter Cancer. And we have a whole new batch of aspect patterns. 
Uh, well, to be to be clear, we actually have two new ones, uh, a yod and a double yod key. And then we have the peaking of some of the patterns we talked about today, including a T-square, a grand trine, and a kite. So we'll have a lot to talk about. It's a busy week. And as always, I will be here trying to give you the very best ways to use these astrological energies. I look forward to speaking with you then. You can hear my weekly forecast every week on This Week in Astrology. But would you also like to get a free, concise version in writing? How about having it pop into your inbox every week? How about occasional bonus articles on astrology, healing, spiritual awakening, and more? That's what you'll get with Astro Shaman's free weekly email newsletter. To subscribe, go to astroshaman.com. You'll see the newsletter sign-up form near the top of the sidebar. And if you like to calculate your own astrology charts, why not use the world's leading Windows astrology software and get it for the lowest price available? Astroshaman is an authorized dealer for Solar Fire Gold, which can also run on your Mac. To learn more or place your order, visit astroshaman.com. From there, click on Products in the menu bar and choose Solar Fire Software from the drop-down menu. A free weekly forecast newsletter and the best available price on Solar Fire Gold. Two great reasons to visit astroshaman.com right now. Here's a few announcements for you. My forecast overview for July and August is now online at astroshaman.com. Just look in the homepage sidebar for the monthly forecast. And information on everything else that follows is in the What's New section of the homepage of astroshaman.com. So I've got a shamanic awakening ceremony July 9th in Hendersonville, North Carolina at the Namaste Center by Love Offering. I'll be a featured practitioner at a psychic fair in Asheville on July 12th. It's the Visions Psychic and Spiritual Fair, free admission at the Masonic Temple. On August 1st through 4th, um, Kimberly and I will co-lead the shamanic awakening process at the Evolution. that's the words love and evolution alighted together, um, in the National Forest, about 40 minutes from Asheville, North Carolina. Very inexpensive admission, under 100 bucks for the whole weekend, and food included. So that's going to be a really sweet gathering. Um, uh, you'll want to register quickly for that because we are expecting it to sell out very fast. We're going to keep it rather small and intimate. And um, I now finally have links posted on my site to the two Soul Journeys events I'm doing, where I'm going to immerse participants into two unique forms of shamanism. That's going to be August 16 and 17 near Asheville, North Carolina, full day each day. On August 16th, Saturday, I'll facilitate the two-hour event, Shamanic Astrology, Planetary Invocation for Harmonious Living, part of the astrology-themed event, Soul Journeys, A Journey Through the Stars, at the Namaste Center in Hendersonville, North Carolina. There will also be two other presenters. On August 17th, the next day, Sunday, Kimberly Crow and I will do another Shamanic Awakening Ceremony for two hours. And this is as part of the Soul Journeys, A Healing Experience event at Crystal Creek Center in Mill Springs, North Carolina. Again, all this stuff is described in the What's New section at astroshaman.com homepage. Uh, I'm about to do my video forecast after I do the podcast, and I'm excited because I've upped my skill again on my video program, and now I'm going to be inserting graphics um, inset picture-in-picture um, picture along with me. So I'm now going to start putting uh, graphics up of like the aspect patterns and such that I'm talking about. So please check out this week's YouTube video where you can not only hear the forecast, you can see it too. <laughs> um, I've got another Shamanic Awakening meetup uh, this Tuesday, July 1st. We have a new start time though, where instead of 7.30, we're now scooting it back to 7.15, 15 minutes earlier than usual. That will be our new regular starting time. 
we've all felt we need a little more time to integrate and ask questions and comments. So uh, if you join us either by phone or in person, uh, show up at 7.15 p.m. Eastern. Um, my winner of the free consult for the summer solstice did not contact me, so I'm going to have one more shot at it. I've chosen an alternate winner. So if your name is Karen and you were born September 27, 1962 at 6.53 a.m. in Baltimore, Maryland, you're the winner now. So uh, contact me within two weeks at info at astroshaman.com if you would like to claim your free session with me. And that's all our announcements. We'll have our live listener consultation right after this music break. was something a little unusual. I took the intro and the outro of the song The Lost Child by Anathema from one of my all-time favorite albums, Weather Systems, by them. And uh, because the middle section, although it's amazing, was a little bit intense for this show, uh, I decided that the gorgeous intro and outro would serve as this week's music break. So if you'd like to hear the whole thing, check out The Lost Child, the song by Anathema, or better yet, the entire album, weather systems, which I have listened to hundreds of times and still never tire of. Anyhow, enough of the music break info. Let's get on with our live listener consultation. Welcome to our live listener consultation. I'm happy to have on the show this week, Simi. Simi, thank you for joining me on This Week in Astrology. No problem. Um, let me confirm for starters that I have your birth data correct. I have March 3rd, 1993, 6.44 a.m. in Bandar Seri Begawan, and yes. that <laughs> I hope I probably say that so we can hear it pronounced correctly, if you don't mind. Bandar Seri Begawan. Oh, it sounds so much better when you say it. <laughs> and that's in the uh, is that in the Sultanate of Brunei? Yes. Awesome. Okay, I think uh, I don't. Maybe once before I've worked with a client from Brunei, but you're definitely one of the first. <laughs> okay, so what question would you like to work with today, Siri? Simi, forgive me. You're not an right. iTunes person. You're a, you're a real person. <laughs> <laughs> an iPhone person, I mean. Go ahead. Right. So my question <laughs> is quite basic. I've never been in a relationship before. Uh-huh. Um, I guess I'd like to know if there is any indication of a possible love interest in the near future. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I don't know. I haven't really met a guy that I could or would want to 
take the next step with. And also look at my chart. What do you think I should probably look out for in a possible ideal mate? Good questions. Okay, yeah. uh, you, I, I didn't quite understand something you said. You said you never met a guy who's something, and then I couldn't quite make it out what you said. Oh, I haven't really met someone that I would want to take the next step with. Ah, okay. So yeah. are you are you are you seeking a marriage partner? Um, no, just dating. I'm I'm still quite young. <laughs> okay, that's true. Yeah, you're only yeah. like we're 21 years old right now, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Very good. If I did my mental math correctly, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Well, let's um, let's. I think the first question to answer would be the description of the partner, mm-hmm. and then once you know the kind of guy you're looking for, then it makes more sense to talk about timing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and also let me um, let me establish certain groundwork because different uh, different countries have very different cultures around dating and. I don't want to come in with any of my Western assumptions that may not apply to your situation. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, if I remember correctly, the Sultanate of Brunei is a Muslim country. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And um, are there any rules or restrictions regarding dating or romance that I should be aware of that maybe as a, as a United States Westerner I might not know about? Um, not really. I'm, I'm not a Muslim. Okay. Um, Actually, an atheist, right? You're what? I'm sorry? Atheist. An atheist? Yeah. Okay. It's good that they allow that there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, good. So uh, so you don't feel bound by any of the societal rules around dating yeah, no. that might be around. You, you can do what you want. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> That's good for me to know. So, uh, okay. Because as an astrologer, you have to be very conscious of cultural things that mm. you know may, may apply to the situation. Right. Okay, so for starters, um, I, I'm going to address first uh, just something, mm-hmm. a couple of things that are strong in your natal chart that don't specifically relate to romance, but I think they're really important anyway, so, which is why I'm okay. going to bring them up. One thing is you have a lot of Pisces energy. Um, and mm-hmm. actually, as I, as I look a little closer, this does relate to romance. So I'll bring this all together. Your, your sun is in the sign of Pisces. Your rising sign is Pisces. And your Mercury is also in Pisces. He'll, Mercury will become important because Mercury is the ruler of relationships in your chart. Okay? So okay. all this high sensitivity means you are much more sensitive than most people. And therefore, I think it's going to be very important that you, you find, I'm going to assume it's a guy because you said guy. I'll assume it's a, a opposite sex preference here. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that's going to be sensitive to your needs because if you pick someone who's very coarse and sort of insensitive, am I correct that you are very energetically sensitive and you feel things around you very sensitively more than most people do? Yeah, that's true. Okay, good. So make sure you get a guy who understands that. Am, am I also true in even your platonic relationships? You sort of know stuff about people and you can feel people's motivations. You You have a sense of where their energy is moving, even if they don't say anything. Is that correct as yeah, well? Yeah, that's correct. Right. Um, so my guess is that, you know, if your partner is having an issue or something's coming up and they're not speaking about it, you have a sense of what's going on anyway. I'm guessing this is true in your friendships. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the the partner will need to understand that he's not going to be able to keep any secrets from you. even even if you don't know the details it looks to me as if you're going to empathically have a strong sense something's going on here am i correct about that yeah 
Right. That's true. <laughs> so I would just advise give give your partners fair warning up front. You know, say you know if you're look, thinking about being in a relationship with me, just understand I'm very empathic. I feel things and know things just intuitively, and mm-hmm. therefore you know unless you're willing to be really open and honest with me, you know, then it's it's probably not going to work very well because I'm going to have a sense of what's going on whether you speak of it or not. Mm-hmm. So so that's one advice I would give you up front regarding. You know, a partner who's both sensitive and willing to be really open emotionally, right? Yeah. So that would be an ideal scenario, uh, in my opinion, based on other clients I've seen with comparable signatures. Okay. Um, one thing you need to watch out for um, with in, in relationship, you have the sun in Pisces in the 12th house. And one of the more challenging ways that can manifest is turning into a victim or a martyr. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. if you become a people pleaser with your partner and, and you don't pay enough attention to your own individual needs, that's going to create an issue. Okay. So I don't know if in your upbringing or in any of your, you know, non you say you've never really had a romantic partner before, yes. right? Okay. So if even in your friendships, you've tended to, um, you know, try to please the person you're relating with, you know, in a way that doesn't always meet your needs, I would be cautious about that. And make sure that your motto is, I get as good as I give. You know, if yeah. I'm, you know, it, you know, you could be such a, I'm, I'm guessing that people tend to like your energy. Um, they say, wow, when I'm around you, I just kind of feel uplifted somehow or I feel good. Have you ever had people say things like that to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's you know, now you, you've told me already you're an atheist. And if you listen to my show, you know I'm very spiritual. <laughs> and <laughs> that's not going to be a problem here. But my theory about that, which I can't really say without going into spiritual territory, is you embody divine energy much more than I think you may realize. And all this Pisces signature, the Pisces rising, the Pisces sun in the 12th house, Mercury in Pisces communicating this energy, you, I'm, I, I'm, my theory here is that you are an unconscious conduit for high vibration energy. And people mm-hmm. just tend to be attracted to that, that nice feeling about you that, that happens just sort of all by itself. And, and of course, one can give you know, non-spiritual explanations for that. And I'm, I'm sure you may have your own theory about that. But that's, from my perspective, what I perceive to be happening. So, again, these don't directly relate to the partner, but they become so important in the relating with the partner that I thought it was important to bring these out right away. Okay? All right. So, um, so let's, let's go a little more specifically into the signature of the partner. So, are you, are you keeping up with me, Simi? Am I, I'm not losing yes. you with too much technical stuff? Okay. Yeah. And, and please, if at any point you start losing comprehension, let me know and I'll clarify anything you have questions about. Okay. okay. All right. So let's let's go to the seventh house now, which is uh, there are many houses of of relationship, but the seventh house is the only angular one, uh, or at least the most important angular one, and therefore I like to start there. Okay. So you've got Virgo on the cusp, and just yeah. as a technical note, also I am using the Porphyry house system. So if mm-hmm. someone's looking at another chart, say that I don't show that planet in that house; it's the uh-huh. next house over. It's the it's the house system difference. <laughs> so a a Virgo descendant says that service and and possibly health are going to be large issues in relationships. Service, I think, is the more relevant one for most people. So what this is saying is, you know, ideally in this in this relationship, you will want to serve the partner and they will want to serve you. Um, mm-hmm. Should now again, I'm I'm going to check a cultural bias here too. 
are you looking for a relationship which is of equality or are you looking for a relationship in which one or the other of you is dominant over the other? What are you looking for? Um, definitely equality. Good. All right. That makes my interpretation job easier. <laughs> yeah. um, because, and, and I ask that not just for cultural reasons, but because Virgo wants to serve, right? Mm-hmm. And a Virgo signature on the seventh can can trigger that that phenomenon I was speaking of earlier with the Pisces, which is you can fall into a servitude to the partner if mm-hmm. you're not careful. So, so just be really mindful. There, there's several signatures, one of which I haven't even got to yet, that speak of a potential for inequality in a romantic partnership. So be very alert to that and make sure that you feel there is a good, nice exchange of energy where you're both you know, giving and receiving comfortably and neither one is getting the lion's share of the energetic benefit. Okay? All right. So um, that's just the Virgo part. And I think that's probably sufficient for starters. Um, let's go now again in your seventh house, there is a planet there, but it's very late in the house in Porphyry. I've got Jupiter, which is 13 degrees, two minutes Libra. And I've got the eighth house cusp at 1551, which means I've got, um, right around three degrees of, uh, in other words, Jupiter is only about three degrees off the cusp of the eighth house. And this makes it a house splitting planet. It's kind of wanting to be in the seventh and the eighth. But for the purposes of our discussion, it doesn't make a lot of difference because the seventh house is all important relationships. The relationship flavor of the eighth house is my committed romantic partner. Um, And um, should I assume here, should I be speaking in terms of someone with whom you might want to make a significant romantic commitment? Um, Is that, in other words, you're not just saying, tell me what kind of person I should date casually, tell me the kind of person I would want (laughs) to really connect with in a deep and long-term way? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. That's that's what the eighth house is about. Okay. So, um, Jupiter there is an interesting planet because um, on one side it's the great benefic, uh, you know, hope, expansion, joy, celebration, enthusiasm. So this is giving us a an energetic picture of one of the qualities you want in the partner. You want you want him to be really should make you feel expansive and good. You should feel expanded, more joyful, more happy, more enthusiastic, just more of those nice, positive, fiery emotions um, just by being with him. In other words, he should be fundamentally uplifting to your energy field is what I'm saying. Okay, so that's one thing, expanded rather than contracted. Um, Now, Jupiter, there was one other flavor here I was getting at, but it slipped my mind. (laughs) Just a minute. Oh, Jupiter in the 7th and 8th can also lead to a greater desire for a relationship because Jupiter expands whatever house it's in. And since it's expanding both the 7th and 8th, you know, I'm guessing that the desire for partnership can be fairly strong there. Okay, so that's that's all I want to say for right now about Jupiter. We might come back to him later in other contexts. So Jupiter, again, is the only planet in your 7th or even leaning into the 8th. Otherwise, those houses are empty. Uh, So we need to go find more information. And let me just say um, a a quick word about the emptiness of the houses. Um, In astrology, when we see a house that's loaded up with lots of planets, then we know that's an important house for sure. Mm -hmm. And in your chart, the fourth house is loaded and the the, the 12th house is pretty strongly populated. Um, Mm -hmm. So we know those are important houses no matter what. But an empty house might be important even if there's no planets at all. Okay. So I just want to make clear, I think I made this point in another live listener consultation that perhaps I haven't aired yet, but uh, it'll be up in the next two or three weeks. 
I'm sorry, it'll, it'll actually probably precede this one. Forgive me. I'm having to keep track of pre-recorded shows. <laughs> but basically, the message is uh, a full house is always important. An empty house might be important. We don't mm-hmm. know. We have to go find the ruler and how it's set up to learn more about that and other planets that have the same theme. So the fact that there's not a lot of planetary energy in the 7th and 8th, we don't know yet how important relationship is in terms of life purpose and your your journey here on Earth. Okay? All right, so let's go find the seventh house ruler and find out more. With Virgo on the cusp, I actually have two ruling planets that I use, Chiron and Mercury. Uh, We'll start with the more popular ruler, Mercury, and see what we can find out. So as I've already mentioned, Mercury is in Pisces, and it's retrograde in your chart. So uh, the fact that it's retrograde, usually, to me, retrograde has two possibilities. Either it's a more inward-focused planet, or it's a late bloomer. So to have your relationship ruler retrograde might mean that, you know, the best partners of your life or partner may not come in the early phase. It's possible right. that you, you may have a relationship or two, you know, and then you'll find that the, the most powerful and meaningful connections might come later with other partners. It could mm-hmm. also mean that even if you only have one partner, that the quality of your relating with that partner could be even sweeter the longer the relationship goes on. So even the same relationship could bloom in a beautiful way over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mercury and Pisces, um, some of that I've already interpreted, indicating you know the potential for a victim or martyr. I, I brought that out on the possible low side. But on the high side, let's go there. The, the seventh house ruler in Pisces says you could have a real, I, I don't know any other way to put it, but soul-blending relationship, a soulmate kind of energy. And again, even, even I, know, I realize you're not um, a religious or spiritual person, but uh, in secular language, I would say the sense that you just feel a connection and a merging with this person that's real easy and real comfortable. Um, the, some people describe the phenomenon, it's like we're one, one soul in two bodies, if that makes right. any sense. So I would definitely look for a partner where you feel an easy, smooth connection at a very intimate, energetic level. Does that make sense? Yes. And is that is that something you're looking for? You're looking for that deep, you know, um, energetic connection with that partner? Yeah, soulmate kind of connection. Excellent. Okay, good. Okay, so um, we're on the same track there. Now, Mercury has a number of interesting aspects uh, as well. Um, I'm just checking the big ones. One of them is that Mercury square your moon. And, and this is potentially a little bit problematical. Um, because a square is challenged for growth. The moon is your emotions. Uh, I'll mention just briefly with your moon in Gemini. Um, the, the, the phrase I use for this is more moods per minute. <laughs> <laughs> and typically people with Gemini moons have a little bit shorter attention spans. and They like to do a number of different things throughout the day instead of just one thing all day. Is that true about you? Yeah. Okay, good. So honor that. Um, my mentor, Kelly Phipps, had a Gemini moon, and he, when he knew his moon was being strongly stimulated, he'd lay out a bunch of different projects on a long table at the beginning of the day, and he'd set one-hour timers, and the timer would click, and he'd move on to the next project. And that's how he, he knew he would uh, have enough attention span for what he was doing. So um, I, I, that's not so critical to my, my square interpretation, but I just wanted to add that as a bonus for you. Um, but with the ruler square of the moon, there, it says even the best of your relationships will probably have some level of emotional challenge going on. And um, so 
what I would say is, you know, my hope for you is that you have a relationship that's fundamentally harmonious and peaceful and flowing and all that. But at the same time, just because once in a while there is some emotional challenge that's triggered within you does not mean you chose the wrong guy. Okay. Yeah. The chart indicates that's probably going to be happening no matter who you choose. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I grant you, this is common of just about every human relationship that exists. This is not unique to a, a moon square, the relationship ruler. But the right. theme may be a slightly more prominent for you because of that. Um, you may have heard me on the show give a little piece of advice around an invocation you can do, which is, again, I'll, I'll give you the secular form, which is just, um, you know, I now ask for maximum, you know, calm and um, uh, let me see. If you get uh, like stirred up by a person, even if it's not a romantic partner, you can just say, just say, I now ask that maximum calm and peace and clearing be established in my emotional field or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the standard when I say is maximum clearing that serves highest good, please. So language like that, then resting passively in the breath will help to, you may feel like some energy comes over and helps to clear and flush out the um, the the turbulent energy that that person might have triggered in you. Does that make sense? Yes. So when that phenomenon arises in your relationships, you may find that it's actually helpful because you were carrying around some kind of heavy, dense energy. Maybe it was a childhood wound or something. And then calling that invocation will help that be cleared away with very little effort on Simi's part. So it's a different part of you taking care of the, the clearing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So so that's uh, one thing to be alert for. Um, the other now this square actually can serve you very positively too because um, it tells me that you have good emotional radar when you first meet somebody. Okay. Um, and, and let me let me verify that's that's partly because the moon the emotions are square the relationship ruler Mercury saying I when I meet someone my emotions the moon are right there and if there's any initial energetic problem that square is going to set off some kind of warning in, in me um, I'm also thinking that's true because of all the Pisces and your your high sensitivity in general and the the seventh house relationship ruler Mercury being in Pisces a sign of very high sensitivity also so I'm basing my theory here on more than one factor but let me let me now reality check that um, do you have you noticed that when you very first meet someone that you have a sense about them that turns out to be right later? Yeah. Okay. So you can tell right away if you're with someone who you would vibe well with or someone who you can meet, oh, man, there would be problems if I tried to, you know, get mm-hmm. to know this person better. Yeah. And and that, that has proved accurate, the emotional radar? Yeah, most of the time. Okay, good. All right, so um, I would also be very keen to, uh, very attuned to that if I were you. Really pay mm-hmm. strong attention to that first impression and really put a lot of value to that perception, okay? Mm-hmm. So that'll help you not waste a lot of time, you know, dating people who aren't going to work for you out in the long run or work out for right. you. Okay. Um, let me go further on the, the ruler. Um, Mercury actually has a repeating signature. I've already mentioned that Mercury, your relationship ruling planet, is in Pisces. It also yes. receives a sextile from Neptune. And Neptune and Pisces and the astrology alphabet context mean the same thing exactly. So this this doesn't really tell us anything new. It just it just reinforces even more powerfully how good your your inner radar is going to be, your inner sensitivity around relationship. Mm-hmm. So I would be uh, that that just reinforces to me the need for a person who's who's of a pretty 
a, a higher vibration, if you will, a person who's not coarse and, and is just sending all this energy that just is repulsive to you or problematic for you. Mm-hmm. So I think a pretty, a pretty conscious, a pretty evolved person for you would be an important prescription because you're going to feel all that energy they're putting out whether you want to or not. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, there's also um, Mercury is also sextile Uranus. And uh, again, what Uranus adds to the relationship picture is a, is a spectrum of possibilities. On one, it just says you need a partner who's really unique and special and one of a kind. You don't just want any ordinary kind of guy. You mm-hmm. want a, a guy who's very uniquely himself. He's, he's comfortable being different. And um, he's also committed to his ongoing change because Uranus is a planet that's about paradigm shift and revolution and constant change. So you'd need a guy who's not only well, well-centered in his own uniqueness, but always changing and moving to the next level as well. Does that, mm-hmm. does that fit with your own preconception about the kind of partner you want? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So um, it also, now on the other end, you know, a relationship ruler sec, you know, aspect in Uranus could be saying, I need a lot of partners, um, but it doesn't have to play that way. So, you know, what I found is that very often in client charts where I've got Uranus or, or Aquarius, it's, it's sign equivalent as a strong energy around relationships, they tend to have a lot of different relationships over the course of their life. But it doesn't have to be relationship roulette. If you, if you just want one person and you find a person who's sufficiently Uranian and he's really got that unique flavor about him, then he could be your life partner for keeps. But mm-hmm. um, what it's saying is you will get bored with a partner who doesn't keep stimulating you and catalyzing your own growth. So right. make, sure, make sure you get a guy who, who's growing and evolving constantly himself. And that way that might be sufficient stimulation to keep you interested in him. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. Um, and, and, of course, you know, what I've learned, too, is no matter how incredible one person is, they probably can't meet all of your personality needs in all areas. Right. Yeah. So there's no reason you can't have this one person if, if you're if you're wanting a monogamous you know, relationship scenario where you're just with him. You could just be exclusive to him sexually, but then you could have all this wonderful social interaction with other people, too. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that need for variety doesn't have to be met entirely by the partner. You can still, mm-hmm. you know, get your intellectual stimulation and your other variety needs met through others. Does that make sense? Yes. OK. And uh, and Mercury also connects with Pluto. Okay, uh, this this is a scenario I call an A3O. That's my my acronym for all three outers: um, Mercury sextiles Uranus and Neptune, and it trines Pluto. So a lot of transpersonal energy is in your relational field, um, and the way it's going to work with Pluto is uh, Pluto is about transformation. So this kind of gives a similar message to what I said about Uranus. It says ongoing transformation and evolution is something else you want in this relationship. You want a setup where you're constantly growing, evolving, changing, and you want to make sure that keeps... Am I correct that that's one of the things you want in a relationship, someone who, who catalyzes your growth consistently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's the Pluto. Now, the good news is, you know, the aspects to all three outer planets is all soft. Okay, I mean, it's not good or bad. It's just easier. <laughs> so, again, as I said, Mercury sextiles Uranus and Neptune. It trines Pluto. So all of this very powerful transpersonal energy is coming in very smoothly and, and very easily compared to any other aspects that it could be making. 
So that that's a lovely signature for um, you know it being a more harmonious setup. Um, the square to the moon again is the only you know a full fledged hard aspect that your relationship ruler Mercury is making. I will mention one minor aspect that Mercury is making just because it's so tight. Uh, Mercury is making a semi sextile to Saturn. Okay, the uh, the uh, one who writes the reality checks, and that's that's a I believe a two minute orb, very almost exact thirty degree aspect to Saturn up in the twelfth house. Mercury's in your first house. So that's that's a little bit of a reality check writer. And the benefits of having that connection to Saturn. Now, this is what I would call a minor hard aspect, just a little bit of potential irritation energy here. Um, but what it, you know, I, I kind of like having Saturn connecting to a relational planet because, for starters, when you first meet someone, he's like the stern daddy at the door. And he says, are you good enough for my daughter? <laughs> and he's one of the reasons why if there's going to be issues in a relationship you might sense those on the early side as mm-hmm. opposed to having to find out about them later when you've already invested a lot of time and energy in the relationship Okay. Right. also Saturn regardless of aspect can be a stabilizer he's all about solid foundation on the ground so to have a Saturn connection there can help to create a little more solid foundation when you find a relationship that's built to last okay but again, uh, the, the more challenging way he would show up is if there's a lack of foundation in the relationship. If it's not, if you're looking for something long term and this relationship is not going to serve that function, then the energy of Saturn will start making trouble. And he'll, he'll start showing you why this is not a good match for that purpose. And he'll bring up the trouble spots. Uh, again, I may have just misspoken. It it may not be that it's not a good match. It's just that this issue needs to be addressed and cleaned up before you can have a more harmonious foundation. So he'll keep alerting you to the things that need attention and fixing in the relationship so that mm-hmm. they can be repaired. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, and one thing I can assure you, having done a few relationships myself, you know, they don't just take care of themselves. They do require maintenance. They require energy. And if you're going to be in a relationship and have it really thrive, then, you know, attention to the things that are brought up as challenges is very important. And the earlier, the better. <laughs> so um let me see if there's anything else there's one other connection mercury makes um and that is the square to the north and south node of the moon now it's a, it's a uh, it's not the world's tightest square it's six degrees so it's not the the prominent theme but it's a theme of importance what i would say there is um when you connect with the right people it will move forward your life purpose and and therefore if you know now, again, um, I have to reality check concept with you. Um, do you believe that there is a purpose to life or is it just sort of random stuff happening in your in your worldview? We'll have Simi's reply to that question and the rest of our live listener consultation right after this. How much valuable astrological information can you get for just $15? Far more than you might expect, thanks to the Time Passages Natal Report. This is by far the best natal computer report I've ever seen. It provides an extraordinary depth of interpretation with a consistently positive tone. A computer report can never replace a human astrologer, but the Time Passages Natal Report will provide you with a wealth of insights into your natal chart. It can also serve as a great introduction to astrology or help anyone understand themselves better. I was amazed at how much I learned about myself from its insightful interpretations. The Time Passages Natal Report also makes a unique and affordable gift for all occasions. To learn more or place your order, visit astroshaman.com. 
From there, click on Products in the menu bar and choose Computer Reports from the drop-down menu. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. How much valuable astrological information can you get for just $15? Order your risk-free Time Passages Natal Report and find out. I haven't found that purpose yet, but I think there really is one. Okay. We just have to find it. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so what the chart says then is that relationship will help you find the purpose. Okay? Mm-hmm. And most likely through challenge, because that's what squares do. Challenge for growth. So um, when when a relationship brings up difficulties for you, um, you know, the first place, you know, I, I always use the analogy. Well, not always. Sometimes if you're pointing a finger at the partner saying you're the reason I'm unhappy. And if you look at your hand, you'll see there's three other fingers pointing back at you. <laughs> so it's kind of a reminder that if I didn't have something that needed working out in me, then what they did might not have upset me in the first place. So, yeah, there, there's I mean, you don't want to keep staying with a person who consistently creates unpleasantness that doesn't lead to any good outcome. Um, But at the same time, if you got triggered, that's something that was already in you before you ever met that person. And Mm -hmm. thus the inner work is always the first place I try to go when something gets triggered. So it's just a a kind of a reminder that, you know, there, even in the best of relationships, there probably will be some challenge whose function is to alert you to the areas of growth that you need, you know, in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I would say there's, you know, I would say largely the energy of the r- aspects to the relationship ruler are harmonious, which is great. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there's just enough challenge to keep it interesting. So I'd say it's a really good mix of energies. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So do you have any questions about, uh, the things I've said so far about the partner in terms of the aspects to the relationship ruler? Uh, no. Okay. Um, I, I, I want to fill backfill a little bit. I, I realize I was speaking more in terms of your own experience as opposed to the partner description. So I'm going to backfill slightly um, with Mercury's aspect to Neptune. Um, I'll give you some things to avoid and some things to look for. Um, even in the soft aspects, you can still attract someone with undesirable qualities relating to the planet that's connecting to the relationship ruler. So what I would advise against in terms of you is avoid anyone who's too heavy on the substance abuse, too much alcohol, too much drugs, anything like that, or who is an escape artist, someone who he's, he's not dealing well with reality. He'd rather avoid it than, than thrive in the real world of the physical world. Um, as real as the physical world is in my opinion anyway. (laughs) Um, um, anyhow, so watch out for those things, but you do want someone who is um, maybe really creative and artistic. You know, another way to interpret a Neptune aspect is someone who's very spiritual, very conscious. And if you don't want to get into that kind of language, we could use more secular words like someone who's very compassionate, unconditionally loving, you know, those qualities that, you know, Neptune also represents. Okay. And with the, with the Pluto aspects to the uh, seventh house ruler, Mercury, uh, avoid control freaks who want to dominate you, which we've kind of touched on already in a way, but you do want someone who's powerful. He's, he's strong and you know, he's in his power and yet he's not imposing his power on you or expecting you to grow in any particular way. In other words, with, with a great Pluto set up like that, you have someone powerful and the osmosis effect is being around a powerful, growing, changing person kind of kickstarts your own growth just automatically. Does that make sense? Yes. So I wanted to add those in terms of the partner description. 
All right. Do you have any questions so far, uh, Simi, around what I've described in terms of the partner so far? No. Okay. All right. Um, I want to briefly look at Chiron, which I also hold as a ruler of the of the seventh of the Virgo uh, that's on your seventh mm-hmm. house cusp. I don't want to spend as much time on Chiron, um, but I want to at least touch on it. Chiron's in Leo, indicating that one of the qualities of the partner might be someone who um, has some leadership quality. In other words, not he doesn't necessarily need to lead you, <laughs> but he can go out in the world and be uh, a leader where it's appropriate. Maybe he's entertaining. Uh, Leo's the sign of the performer in the spotlight, so maybe he can tell jokes well or be entertaining. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be all of him, but there might be an aspect of him that way that would really be sweet. Um, Chiron in your chart is in the sixth house. Again, back to that whole service theme, you know, being of service to each other, but neither one dominating the other. So I've already kind of dealt that theme well. Um, and there's a, there's a really cool um, aspect pattern that Chiron is involved in, and it also aspects Venus, who, of course, we would need to discuss as anyone's relationship ruler at all. So are you already familiar, Simi, with what a grand trine is? Yeah. Okay. So for, for any listeners who don't know, it's just an equilateral triangle. And you've got a very tight one with Chiron on one corner, Venus, the natural relationship ruler for everyone, on the other corner. And then at the top, it goes up to the midheaven and the north node of the moon. So, um, and in case, I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but anyone can look at the chart or charts that will be used in this uh, sequence here at uh, thisweekinastrology.blogspot.com. There will be a link to uh, Simi's charts in the link that has her name in the episode um, down in the index. So um, this is a lovely setup for Harmony. And um, I love the fact that the two planets at the bottom, Chiron and Venus, relate to relationship, and they go up to the north node of the moon, which is your destiny point, and also to the midheaven, your your workout in the world. Um, to me, what this suggests to me further is that um, the point I've already made, which is you know a partner who who moves your life purpose forward. In other words, whatever you're striving toward, you know, make sure that he's supportive of that in some way. But also the idea that he can support you out in the world. The midheaven is your work in the world, so it's very important that he easily and comfortably supports you in your work individually in the world by being your partner. He's your cheerleader. He he might give you material or some other level of energetic support that helps you do your work out in the world better. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's even possible he might partner with you in your work out in the world. That's not required with this setup, but it's a possibility of it. So mm-hmm. I wanted to mention that as well. Uh, let me see if Chiron has any other super critical hits that I wanted to talk about. Um, actually, it's interesting. Chiron... Um, actually aspects just about all the same planets that Mercury does. <laughs> so um, just about all the same themes are reiterated. I mean, Chiron, he aspects Saturn and Uranus and Neptune and Pluto um, with harder aspects, but the same the same basic meanings are there. And uh, really, all I would need to say is those, those themes I emphasized around the planets Saturn and, and Uranus and Neptune and Pluto are just re-emphasized by Chiron's aspects to them as well. Um, so it's just a re-emphasis of the, the importance of those themes we already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, is sufficient for the Chiron uh, part of our journey. Yeah. Um, let's, let's go to Venus specifically now, because she is uh, you know, these, the relationship planet for everyone. And mm-hmm. she's in Aries. 
And some astrologers say, oh, she's in the sign of her detriment. Oh, how, what an unfortunate placement. I'm so sorry. Right? But my view is that there's nothing good or bad about a sign placement in the psychological style of astrology I do. It's just a description. So this says in terms of your partner, you know, Aries is the energy of the warrior, the pioneer, masculine, you know, getting out and making things happen. So you need a certain amount of um, assertiveness in the partner, someone who can, you know, take the reins and make things happen when he needs to. Um, mm -hmm. I assume you want some, some nice sexual energy in the relationship as well. And, uh, of course, Aries is the sign of, you know, sex, you know, just in its most basic form. So it's mm -hmm. lovely to have some of that energy indicated in the chart. Um, so I like that as well. Also, um, Venus, in, in addition to being part of the grand trine I talked about, opposes Jupiter. And again, that's, that's part of the expansiveness of desiring relationship and could also be an indicator of good fortune in relationship overall. Um, not to say that nothing challenging will ever happen, but uh, the overall vibe is, yeah, there's some nice energy available for expansion and joy, expansion, enthusiasm, celebration in relationship for you. Um, as it happens to me, um, Venus aspects all the same planets that Mercury and Chiron do. <laughs> We're getting this over and over again. So uh, Venus opposes Jupiter, sextiles Saturn, trines Chiron, squares Uranus, squares Neptune. Um, aspects the nodes as well. So um, every time we go find a relationship planet, it seems like it hits all these same themes all over again. Mm -hmm. um, so again, no need to reiterate the meanings of the aspects from those planets. To me, the nature of the planet making the aspect is even more important than the aspect itself. So the same themes reiterated yet a third time around all those planetary connections. So, um, as you can see, there's a, a rather uh, complex web of energies around the description of your ideal partner. Uh, let me take a breath for a second and ask, has this all made sense to you? And have the things I've said actually jived with the things you already knew that you wanted in a partnership? Yeah, it's quite accurate. Oh, good. Excellent. Um, I'm just seeing if there's any other... I'm looking at, you have a number of aspect patterns in your chart. I'm just checking them out to see if any of them relate back to this. I think I've really hit the uh, the description of the partner pretty thoroughly. I mean, we could go even deeper, but is this sufficient in terms of qualities of partner that I've described? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, good. So any loose ends on that before we go to timing? Sorry? Uh, is that enough of the description of the partner? Uh, can we now move to the description of the timing yeah. of the, of the yeah, partnership? Sure. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Um, before we go there, um, I want to just briefly note something else about you that could affect the, the way you relate with a partner. When I look at the balance of your modes and elements, you are overwhelmingly mutable and overwhelmingly water. So mutable water is the, the Pisces signature. But what I want to say about this in plain English is um, my guess is you've noticed over time your, your emotions change a lot, don't they? Yes. Okay. I, I mean, the Gemini moon alone says more moods per minute, but the Gemini moon doesn't really clue us in how emotional you are. Uh, a, a standard Gemini moon just you know tends to rationalize emotion and not feel it very strongly at all but you've got so much water in your chart, uh, including things I haven't even talked about yet, um, that it appears to me you're a very emotional person and you feel emotions very deeply. Is that true? Right. Right. So um, 
just be aware what the message here is. There's a lot of emotional mutability and it is your nature, whether you're in relationship or not, to have emotions change like ocean waves. They, they'll be swirling around and changing all the time. So that will probably be even more true with a romantic partner because being in an intimate relationship, in my experience, and as I've observed my clients, you know, stimulates emotional volatility even more. Okay. So um, what I would say is, uh, let me just ask, are you comfortable with the amount of emotional change that you routinely experience? Is that a comfort zone for you or is it kind of overwhelming? Sometimes I get overwhelmed, but I would say it's fine. Okay, good. All right, so just be aware that that emotional, you know, changeability will be even stronger in partnership, most likely. Um, now, there can be exceptions if you find a partner who's got, like, lots of earth, which might not be a bad idea because earth is your weakest element. Uh, it could actually be a stabilizer for you. So um, that would be the exception to my normal, um, to what I just said as a general theme. Um, but I just wanted to let you know that, you know, that, you know, for most people, especially in the era we're living in now, where there's so much change energy for everybody, you know, a relationship container tends to be a stimulator of emotional, you know, stuff coming up so people can evolve and move on to the next level of their own growth. Okay. And, and there's almost always difficulty with that. Um, be aware always that there is a part of you that's always calm. And if you just, uh, if you find the emotions are super strong, if you just say, I, I ask for the maximum calmness that serves my highest good right now. Just ask from the universe or whatever you'd be comfortable speaking to. And it might amaze you how that can right away just bring in a really sweet um, calmness, no matter what's going on otherwise. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Now, timing. Uh, you've got a, a lot going on around relational energy right now. Um, uh, so, again, you, you told me you're not currently in a romantic partnership, right? Right. Okay. All right, so there's a lot of energy right now around paradigm shift in the relationship field. And the things that are being aspected, which I'll specify here in a moment, if you're not in a romantic partnership, they'll come up around your platonic relationships instead. But they, they have to find some way to express themselves, okay? Um, now, there's a lot of energy around paradigm shift and change in relationship. And if you're not in one, the only possible paradigm shift is to get one, right? <laughs> so you have the transiting planets Pluto and Uranus um, very strongly hitting sensitive relationship points for the next four years so that's a very good indicator to me that the likelihood of a relationship starting up are, are quite strong um, so what I would say based on the fact you your only question here on this question on this podcast is what can I do to get a partner what should he be like right so clearly the desire is strong for you to have one, right? And, and the chart also says the same thing, okay? The only reason I'm making this point is there would be ways to work these transits that did not involve relationships if you wanted to. But I'm just saying that's the choice we're making here, okay? So to be specific, now that I've laid all that conceptual groundwork, um, the planet Venus in your chart is 18 degrees, 38 minutes Aries, um, that means that the transit planet Uranus is going to come up this summer and almost conjunct her um, mm -hmm. and will is already energetically connecting to Venus. Um, and that means for the next two years, the planet Uranus is on top of your Venus, the planet of relationship, revolution and paradigm shift. Um, 
Now, what happens starting next year is that Pluto is going to start squaring Venus. And that means uh, from roughly mid-2015 through mid-2018, Pluto will be squaring Venus. This is, well, let me just put it this way. I can't imagine natal Venus ever receiving a more powerful transit in your whole lifetime than this one. It's really big, all right? So it's calling for a revolutionary transformation in your relational field. In your case, the the revolution would be from not having one to having one. And understanding, too, the nature of any relationship you draw to you in these next four years is going to be an energy of really big change. Okay, If Uranus and Pluto are working this, then they are not about you know swinging in the hammock and just having calm stability consistently. This is about a relationship coming to you that causes you to grow and change and expand very rapidly. Um, does that fit the quality of what you're looking for here, or did you have a different uh, concept in mind around the relationship that you want? Uh, yeah, it's pretty much physical. Okay, so you want someone who's going to be dynamically stimulating and you're going to really grow fast together. Is that what you're looking yeah. for? Good, because that is what the universe will be delivering. <laughs> Good. So, um, yeah. So now the the challenge with Uranus and Pluto lining up on Venus is that there's high volatility here. So you'll need to understand that there will most likely be times when you and the partner trigger each other. There will be stuff come up for clearing and and dealing with your own stuff in the relationship container will probably be a strong feature of the relationship. Now, not mm-hmm. the only feature. But at the same time, there's a level of excitement and energy and electricity here that is going to be amazing. Okay, mm. so um, I just wanted to give you a sense of the flavor of these of the times you're moving into around relationship as you draw this partner to you. Um, I'm going to repeat. Uh, I've already told you. I'm now going to give you warning and upside around the transits to Venus. Um, the Pluto square I already addressed. Uh, when I said don't hang out with anyone who wants to control you, you need someone who's already powerful and changing and growing, and you'll be in the osmosis effect of his change that will trigger yours, okay? I didn't give that level of interpretation with Uranus. So as Uranus comes onto Venus, um, you want to avoid anyone who's crazy or unstable or unreliable or flaky, you know, someone who just, you know, there's too much nervous, unchanneled energy around that person. But what you do want, again, is the description I've already given you, someone who's unique, one of a kind, always taking his own growth to the next level, and a new a new theme I haven't brought in, someone perhaps even who's doing some kind of good service out in the world that doesn't directly benefit him, okay? Humanitarian work. So those would be really cool qualities to look for while Uranus is on Venus. Does that all make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now, um, in passing, I want to mention that Venus is not the only relational point that Uranus and Pluto are hitting. They're also aspecting the seventh house cusp, and that's already happening. Your seventh house cusp basically is 15 degrees Virgo. That means Uranus has already made the quincunx to it, and Pluto is working on the trine. So for roughly the next uh, two and a half to three years, the seventh house cusp will also be stimulated in addition to Venus. Um, there's even further stimulation of relationship because the only planet in your seventh house, Jupiter, and any planet in a house can represent the themes of that house, was in the heart of the Grand Cross we had in late April. 
Jupiter's at 13 degrees 2 minutes, which means it's still getting the square from Pluto and the opposition from Uranus. So all that is just technical support for you've got numerous points that have relationship sensitivity being strongly stimulated right now. And, um, you know, things are, are in the air and the energy is really powerful around moving into a relationship that's going to serve you well. Okay. Um, in terms of, do you have any concern about being able to attract that partnership? Um, um, is that an issue for you? Sorry? Um, I'm asking... Um, in terms of getting the relationship started, um, do you know, do you already have a plan for how to attract a good partner or are you sort of at a loss as to how to do that? Um, uh, not really. You don't really I know how? Okay. Um, and now again, I don't know the, how people do that in Brunei. Are there like online dating sites people use and stuff like that? Uh, not really. It's not really popular here. Okay, so how do people meet other people in Brunei? Um, in person, mostly. In what? I'm sorry? In person. In person. So just yeah. out, out and about doing stuff? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, good. So what I would recommend is, um, do you know what law of attraction is and how to use it? Yeah. Okay, good. So I would definitely, you know, if if, if what I'm saying resonates for you, then, you know, write down the qualities that really feel important and keep imagining yourself with the person. Um, rather than go into it all right here, I'll just refer you to an article on my website, astroshaman.com. If you go to that site in the search box in the upper right corner, just type law of attraction made simple and you'll see my just super quick four-step process on how to use law of attraction. Okay. Okay. So that will help you to because if you place your order, it's a whole lot likely to show up faster than if you just wait around. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, I want to give you um, so those so again you've got a ton of juicy relational transits. Uh, I'll even mention that Jupiter has just come into your fifth house of new romance. So that's mm -hmm. really awesome timing. Again, that's that's Porphyry house system. Uh, awesome timing to draw a partner to yourself. So so yeah, the the energy is very strong around plenty and of stimulation of partnership. Uh, you've even got Mars transiting your seventh house right now and about to hit Jupiter in the next week or two. So there's, I would say the the time is ripe, you know, as we record this here on June 2nd, 2014, for you to, you know, take action just as soon as you want to, to attract mm -hmm. that partner to yourself. Um, I'll even mention Jupiter just squared Venus, you know, the natural ruler of relationship just uh, within the last week. So, the energy is very hot right now for you, okay? Mm -hmm. um, I want to, uh, I'm seeing another transit that I'm going to bring up as a opportunity and a caution both. So um, I'm going to put my glasses on so I can see the screen from where I'm sitting and, and look at these real quick. What I'm looking at is Neptune approaching your sun, uh, not conjunct yet, but uh, I just, I'm, I'm needing to check how quickly it's going to come up on the sun in a meaningful way. So that's going to be spring of next year. So I, I need to give you a heads up that starting in the spring summer of 2015, transit Neptune is going to begin conjuncting your sun energetically. It'll be within three degrees when it stations in the summer. So um, the upside of this is that it can be like, you know, a, a merging kind of, a, you'll feel one with things and that would include the partner. 
So it's a lovely, even though the sun is not specifically a relational planet for you, to have Neptune sensitizing your sun even further beyond its own Piscean disposition means that you will have the opportunity to, to blend even more easily energetically with other people and things around you. The The reason I'm bringing it up in a challenge way is it can also make you delusional <laughs> if you're not careful. <laughs> Because Neptune is images, and, and Neptune sometimes turns into the rose-colored glasses where you're only seeing what you want to see, okay? Right. So the advice I give to people when they're under a strong Neptune transit like this is, you know, if you can get some reality checks from other people, that's a really good idea. You know, you may think you've found the love of your life, but if you if you know other people who are very good judges of character, they're in good relationship themselves, um, to choose to spend some time with you and your potential beloved with these other people and in advance you let them know you know we're going to hang out and the reason is i want to talk to you after alone to see what you thought of this person would you think of right. it and and let them know in advance you'll want them to kind of scope the person out and get a vibe on them all right mm -hmm. and and it can be good to get some trusted second opinions um and, and and this might not be a bad strategy for you anyway, because, again, with so much Piscean energy and so many Neptune aspects anyway, uh, that may create some level of, of of judgment clouding anyway, even if you weren't under a Neptune transit. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, you know, I would say this to anyone with a lot of strong Neptune connections. So just getting good reality checks from others whom you trust might be a good general policy for you always around relationship. Okay, so right. that's just a little piece of advice I'll give you there. All right, any questions on, um, and just in passing, let me mention also, I've talked about how many aspects there are now and, and soon to Venus and the seventh house and Jupiter in the seventh, and Mercury itself at, you know, 23 and a half Pisces is also getting ready to have a conjunction from Chiron. Jupiter is about to trine it. Saturn is... Um, has been trining it and will trine it again here in a few months. So even the seventh house ruler of relationship is getting a lot of action too. So there's there's no end to the stimulation of your chart of relationship possibilities. Mm -hmm. So it really is a great time. Uh, further timing um, in terms of, of you know more slow movement systems, the progress chart. Uh, let me just get this up to date and current. Hang on a second. Your progressed moon is going to be hitting on Jupiter in about five months, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> so let me uh, let me look at when that's going to be exact. That's right around um, mid-November of this year, 2014, to have the progress moon, the evolving mood of the soul, land right on top of Venus, which only happens about every 28 years, is, is a significant phenomenon if you're looking for partnership. So this suggests to me that this fall, uh, in around November, I give the moon by progressions about a three-month orb coming in, a three-month orb coming out. says, yeah, it very could be that, you know, mid-fall you'll either find the partner or you'll deepen the connection with them is a very likely mm -hmm. possibility. Um, the progress moon even now is almost exactly opposite Jupiter in the seventh. Uh, and for it to be opposing any seventh house planet is a strong potential for relationship connection as well. Um and even progress Mercury, your seventh house ruler, is trying Mars and just separating a bit. So the progress chart also shows numerous um, suggestions that the timing of relationship could be close as we speak. Mm -hmm. And when we look at solar arc, uh, let me go to that system on my screen. 
Um, hmm. Solar Arc Saturn is only 17 minutes away from opposing the Descendant. And that's pretty amazing. That means he'll be there in about three months. And as I mentioned earlier, Saturn can be a very good thing. You always want some Saturnian energy, if you can get it, in a relational chart to give stability. Mm-hmm. And here's uh, Solar Arc Saturn. These All the Solar Arc planets move in lockstep about one degree per year. And here he is about to oppose the descendants saying, I can help you crystallize and create a structure around this relationship. And the opposition is the aspect of relationship itself. Okay? So I really like that. Uh, In addition, I've got solar arc Mercury about to make an aspect to the descendant. Uh, It's a quincunx adjustment angle, adjusting into a relationship when you're not in one. Um, Even solar arc Venus is about to sextile Mars. It's just, wow. It just is pretty amazing the consistency of the movement systems and how there are relational indicators all through them. And finally, um, in terms of the solar return chart, which is, of course, the energy between birthdays. Your solar return was on March 3rd of 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got a loaded seventh house in the solar return chart. Uh, I've got five things in there. I've got Mars, Vesta, the North Node, Ceres, and Saturn. Now, Saturn's very late in the house, but he's then leaning into the eighth, which is another relational house. Mars is initiation, and Mars is the closest planet to the cusp. He's only about three degrees excuse me, three degrees away. The North Node in the seventh suggests to me that your your life purpose will be served through relationship this year between birthdays, and that could certainly be a romantic one. So I like that message as well. Uh, let me, I was just checking her. And Venus, who you, in, in the solar return, when I run it to uh, your birthplace in Brunei, uh, becomes a natural chart. Um, all the natural signs are on the cusp, Ceres on the first, Taurus on the second, and so on. And Venus, therefore, becomes the, the relational ruler, and she's the most elevated planet in the chart. Uh, she's the highest in the circle early in the 10th house. So mm-hmm. she's angular, she's prominent, she's in Capricorn, saying, let's find a relationship that really serves my practical needs and has a good structure to it. Um, and Venus herself is in a really strong T-square, with um, the ascendant-descendant axis and Mars and several other planets too, including the North Node. So there's a pretty strong energy here that there's a really big emphasis on relationships in the chart. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can't find anything here that doesn't say, yeah, it's a great year for relationships, a good time (laughs) to be connecting here. So, um, and again, as with just about every chart I ever see, it's a mixture of flow and challenge. That's just the nature of things in astrology. But um, in, as I begin to perhaps move toward some kind of summary here, uh, what I would say is that you've got very strong energy you know, around relationship timing now. Every single movement system I use, transit, progression, solar arc, solar return, is all showing strong relational possibilities. So now um, the universe needs your cooperation. It needs you to go out and uh, make yourself available and do whatever feels appropriate to open yourself to connect with this person. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the timing is great. It's green lights all over the place. The, we've, we've gone deep into the natal chart to give some sense of the qualities of the partner, which you've confirmed are accurate in your own desire field. Mm-hmm. So I would just say, you go, girl. <laughs> 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 So, um, so do you have any loose ends around any of this as we uh, potentially draw to a close here? That's fine. Thank you. Okay, my pleasure. 
Okay, so let me also ask my guarantee question, which is, was I helpful today? Right. Very, very helpful. Thank oh, you. Yay. Very, very. I love. Very <laughs> good. All right. In that case, um, it's been my pleasure to work with you, Simi. Thanks for being on the show. Um, and uh, as I record this here on June 2nd, I've already got two, um, two, two in the can. So it may be about a month or so, four to six weeks before this actually airs on the podcast, just for your own information. Okay. okay. Of course, you, the listener, are listening right now, so it's in real time for you. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Simi, before we wrap up? No, it's fine. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I offer three main services at Astro Shaman, astrology, shamanic healing, and awakening activation. All are equally effective in person or long distance. Choose one or combine two or more services during your session. Astrology offers insights into soul purpose, career, relationships, spirituality, timing, relocation, and much more. In Awakening Activation Sessions, I help you immerse into your own awakened state using simple, powerful invocations, then teach you how to refresh it on your own. Shamanic healing can reduce or eliminate physical, emotional, or mental issues, and usually results in significantly enhanced divine consciousness. I also offer electional astrology to help you pick the perfect date and time for any important event. And be sure to check out my free services page, where you can load up on free forecasts, podcasts, invocations, and music. Sliding scale payment is available by request. You can get a 20% discount during your birthday month, and gift certificates are always available. I work with clients all around the world by phone and Skype. You get a free digital recording of your session, and I accept PayPal and all major credit cards. Finally, my guarantee makes it risk-free. If you don't feel that your experience was helpful, it's free. For more information or to set an appointment, visit astroshaman.com, email info at astroshaman.com, or call 828-338-9852. I love my work, and I look forward to helping you. We're wrapping up another edition of This Week in Astrology. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend or post or tweet about us or donate to support us at thisweekinastrology.com. You can link to our Facebook page and Twitter feed where I post daily forecasts from thisweekinastrology.com or astroshaman.com. You can listen to This Week in Astrology on your smartphone or tablet at stitcher.com. And if you're an iTunes listener, please do subscribe through iTunes and help us continue our run as the number one astrology podcast on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. I wish you infinite blessings as the stars light your way. This Week in Astrology is copyright 2014 by Astro Shaman. All rights reserved, although enthusiastic sharing is encouraged. You can access our free comprehensive audio archive from thisweekinastrology.com. If you'd like me to illustrate the weekly forecast with your chart, please send me your date, time, and city of birth. This also gives you a chance to win a free session with me every time the seasons change. I welcome your personal questions for my live listener consultation segments. I also welcome your general astrology questions and feedback. Just email info at astroshaman.com. I look forward to making you a part of This Week in Astrology.
Here's this week's index. The overview begins at 1 minute 39 seconds. Monday, 2.56. Tuesday, 3.07. Wednesday, 6.45. Thursday, 7.42. Friday, 8.06. Saturday, 9.05. Sunday, 10.17. Next week's transits, 11.33. Announcements, 13.18. And our live listener consultation, 18.33. Thank you so much for listening to This Week in Astrology.